time for part two. Yep. Are you ready for this? You ready to go beyond the birds and the bees? You're listening to the Fight for Together podcast. Just wrapping up um, date night. Yep. You know, with cigars, sex ed books. The use. <laughs> the use. Um, while we're cutting up our cigars, big announcement. Big, huge announcement. And no, I'm not pregnant. You're making us sound like big, huge. It's bigger than that. Oh, okay. I mean, you've, how many times have you been pregnant? Six, seven, seven eight times? Yeah, probably eight. But how many times have we done a fight for together conference slash retreat <laughs> um never <Zero. laughs> so this announcement is much bigger mm-hmm. yeah. than you getting pregnant mm. so cammy and i have been wanting to do this for a while and We've done this type of thing in the past, actually. Like, I used to teach these blackjack retreats where we would, people would come to Vegas and we would teach them in like two days how to beat the game. It's kind of the same. <laughs> Basically. And it was really fun because we ran this blackjack website and, um, and we made like a lot of money and, um, like taught people through videos how to play the game, but it was so much fun to be able to finally meet them. It was the only mm. time we ever could meet them. Yeah. And talk. I, I feel like being able to meet people face-to-face will just put a new dimension in what we've been doing the last three years. And I think it's got the potential to be pretty cool. But it's not just for us to meet people. Mm-mm. It's um, it's actually like really designed for listeners, viewers. The next, if you want to go like a level deeper, maybe the fighters. I, I always fighters. well, you know how like Logan Paul has the Low Gang and Jake Paul has the Jake Paulers. I feel like we need like you know. No, we don't. Well, we want to include people, you know, and get mm. them activated in this movement. It'd be better for marketing and sales and stuff. And um, merch. For all the stuff we sell. <laughs> we start selling, like, Fight for the Other Cigars. <laughs> fight for the Other Sex Ed Kit. <laughs> um, but um, it's really to take people that are like, oh, I really like what I'm seeing here, but you know, it's just like there's only so much you can get from a video. So it would involve like conversation and some like, I don't know, lecture, conversation. I think be high level uh, inspiration, like education. Yeah. Anyways, that's our sales pitch. Um, we're not like 100% on this, but we, we put on the calendar as if we're going to like try and go for it. And we're looking for like six couples. I think as we get people's interests level like if anything if anyone actually calls us and says hey i'd like to do that that'll be motiv- motivating for me i think it could be life-changing and i'm not just saying that because i don't know i just i think it could be 
Um, and uh, there's a link in this little description thing that we really want to hear from you if, if you're interested in this at all. Like, it's just for us to kind of, like, feel it out. You're not, you're not signing up. Um, mm-hmm. But you could, like, put your email address and say, hey, I'm interested. And then if we send out a sign-up, you'd be the first to hear about it. Yep. Um, so check that out. Uh, but let's get into it today because I think we're just going for it. Oh, we're supposed to introduce ourselves. Damn yeah, it. That's all right. I'm Ben. I'm Cami. And we are here talking about family. We've been together for 20 years. We have six children. And we've been sexually active for 18. Ish. Well, it depends on how you define sexually active. <laughs> um, okay. Um, we're done with that. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, this is not just a sex ed podcast, although we are on week two of talking about this. But, you know, I'm not apologizing because, you know, some people say that we're obsessed with sex, to which I say, yes, I am. Cammy's to which not. I say, <laughs> you're not. Um. <laughs> Well, I don't think you are. Uh, mm, now you might might be now. And the word obsessed is used in negative connotations, yeah. but I don't think it needs to be that. Okay. I like sex, and I'm really fascinated by it as a topic. Um, but more importantly, we think it's an important part of a lot of people's lives. Really, I would guess I would say everyone's life. And it doesn't get a lot of airtime in, like, a serious way. Yeah. I mean, it does in some religious circles, and it gets a lot of comedic and fantastical airtime in Hollywood. Um, so, you know, mm. a lot of the stuff we talk about, I think some of it might be somewhat offensive to some folks, but we're kind of just like, you know, if you want to watch a regular family do regular things, there's a million podcasts and vlogs out there, and we're not trying to convert you. But there's, I think there's people that really, this might help. Or that they actually want to hear and talk about these kinds of things. You're obsessed with sex too. And it's okay. You've come to the right place. Okay. So last week, we started off with this book called Beyond Birds and Bees. And I, I think we're going to try and wrap up the conversation this week because I just don't want to go into week three because a lot of other stuff to talk about. Um, so if you haven't... Uh, listen to that. I, I would recommend starting there. Actually, who cares? Just listen to it after this. <laughs> but we're going into some other topics today. And I'm just kind of going to read this thing off page 135. So this section was so fascinating. Okay. This section was about consent. Oh, yeah. Come on. I'm not going to hurt you. Just real quick. But I need you to. It'll be easy. What's the matter? You did it last time. It's no big deal. You're making me sad. If you do it, I'll... Okay, so that's this is all from this book. And then she writes, These comments, all of them, are ones I jotted in my notebook over the course of a few weeks. This spring, Libby, that's her daughter, turned five. They are things men said to her after she refused something they wanted. Usually a high five or a fist bump, occasionally a hug. One day at the neighborhood park, I saw her chin quiver. She tried to stand up to a perfectly well-meaning father we knew who kept bugging her for a high five. So, do I keep on reading? or When you read those, like I remember reading those and having no idea that that's where she was leading. 
Like, it sounded like someone pressuring someone to do something like really naughty. Right. And I think her whole point is that even though it wasn't, they weren't pressuring her to do something like inappropriate, it was inappropriate the way that they were pressuring her. Like even the high five or it may be inappropriate. It could be a loaded term. It's usually connected to. Like, I think her point was, was that in all those situations, um, initial consent is not really important. Oh, yeah. Or taught. Like if she says no, it's like that's not good enough or respected. And manipulation or coercion um, pressure is seen as a completely viable option for adults to get what they want from kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and these aren't things, by the way, that are good for the kids. Like it's one thing, I guess, if a mom's like to a kid, hey, you need to eat your dinner or eat your broccoli or whatever. Like, or if you go into the street, I'm going to yank you back. I mean, there, there are things that like so So that is 100% out of the kid's best interest. Yeah. But when an adult wants a high five from a kid mm-hmm. to feel close to the kid or cared about or important mm-hmm. or whatever, which might even be good things, I don't know, and a kid says no for whatever reason, right? then I see it all the time where there's this like pressure created. And I did this a lot with all of our kids for a lot of things mm-hmm. because I just didn't see it as that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, you don't, it's like you don't, yeah, you don't see it, the child's free will as being something that's like, should be taught to them that that's like a good thing, you know, like, well, yeah, I was thinking like, Oh, high fives are cool. They're good. And I'm trying to give you one. So come on, like give me a high five. Right. And really I think I was like trying to get something out of the relationship that the four or five year old didn't want to. And I didn't really value their opinion a whole lot. I'm kind of like, hey, Mm -hmm. I'm the adult. I know I'm bigger than you and Mm -hmm. I'm smarter than you and I'm older than you. So I know better than you, which is all actually I think true. (laughs) Like I think for most kids, I'm smarter than them, older than them, wiser than them. But what she gets into in this book is if we're really teaching our kids that their will is important no matter what and that they have agency over their body and their personhood, mm-hmm. then that training starts as soon as you can start it. Why wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. you don't teach that at the age of 10 magically or 15 or 18. No, because at that point, it's it's already kind of sealed. Like, if, so, Yeah. So going into like sexual world with this, um, the Dutch, so this book, for those of you that weren't here last time, is comparing the Dutch way of viewing sexuality and sex education with the American way. And the Dutch, they educate their kids about body parts like three, three. four, five, uh, six years old. Starting with potty training, really. So it could be two. Okay. Three, but yeah. definitely three and four. So that by the time that they're six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They're now teaching them about preferences, like, oh, do you like that? Do you want that? If you don't like that, how do you tell someone no? Right. Things like that, which are a little bit more advanced. Right. And by looking at American culture and stats, and I'm not, we're not, 
like you can Google this shit yourself if you want. We're not going to be like looking this crap up. But there's like plenty of stats to back up the fact that rape is like a really big deal in America. Um, And there was that book you and I read four years ago, which was just like staggering, shocking. Like rape with full-fledged adults, early 20s. The book was called Missoula by John Krakauer. Pretty graphic pretty sobering but i think actually like a necessary read if you're sending your kids to college i think you should actually read this book yeah um actually i don't know because i don't know what it would cause you to do (laughs) maybe not send your kids to college but i I think it is an accurate picture of like the state of like what and i remember reading that book and being like not really knowing why this happens or how to solve it. Or how to solve it. And now reading this book, the whole consent and actually teaching your kids at a young age that their preferences matter and teaching them how to voice their prefer- preferences, it makes all the sense now to me. Now, I will say with Rainier, even before this book, something felt wrong about that. And I've been about really what? about pressuring him. Okay. So he's two. Yeah. So we have this routine at bedtime where we do hug, kiss, my my, which is touching foreheads. Korean. Nosers. We touch noses. <laughs> then we do scratchers. <laughs> scratch my beard. What do you say it on the podcast? <laughs> it it sounds, sounds a little, little ridiculous. Like, and then we do secrets but where awesome. I say I love you. And then he says I love you. Yeah. And ever he's, since coming off the AT. He's a bit of a mama's boy and a bit of a pain in the ass he he i think he loves his dad but he has no problem <laughs> saying no he doesn't want to, to do you it. especially now in the past i think one i would have taken that personally whereas i just see he's like practicing his personhood and finding his boundaries because I, I know he he well, I, don't, I don't know if he loves me but he's fine with me i think he does <laughs> um and uh i just don't know how aware like two-year-olds are of like yeah, love. I think they just want whoever gives them candy in some ways. But regardless, um, maybe he does love me. Um, but he makes very clear that he doesn't want to do these things mm-hmm. at night. And yeah. I think I would have taken that personally. And I would have kind of said, you know what? We're going to do these things. And I would have forced them on him. Mm. And I think in a way it's nice. Like I'm hugging him. And I think hugs are good. And I think it's good for him to learn a hug. But I think the other lesson I would have been teaching him is your opinion over your body doesn't matter mm-hmm. i actually think this other example recently like we, we used to force our kids more me to eat things mm-hmm. like you know it'd come down to the last three bites and it's like mm-hmm. you know we don't want our kids to be spoiled so it's like no you're gonna put this in your mouth and sometimes i'd force the food in their mouth which is you know i mean it's food it's like good food it's not like poison or anything but now i just believe that forcing someone to do something with their body mm there's like a violation well like i said when you grab a kid from going to the street i think you're protecting their good it's it's hard because it's like a gray area where um i think you have to believe this other thing about like needing to not cross certain lines now there's there's lines you have to cross as a parent like the whole road scenario you know there's just like because you're their protector right this and is, they're, um, 
you know, you're in their guide. This is what's life. true. If you violate their personhood and their boundaries or teach them they're not important, we shouldn't be surprised when someone else does either. Yeah. Or when that's, they don't that's know. a sobering truth. Yeah. How to say no. Or when they don't expect someone to stop when they say no. Yeah. So that's kind of a rule that we've had around our house for a little while now, which is like, you know, especially, especially with the younger kids when, cause the older kids will like be tickling them. And that's an example that's used quite often, even in this book is like, well, yeah. you know, they'll say, stop, stop. And the older kid or, you know, in, in the past me would keep on going. Right. And I'm like, oh, you're having fun. Look, you're laughing. But they're actually saying stop. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes the smaller kids, they don't have the words. They don't even know how to say the word stop. But they're using body language or Yeah, they don't like it. Else. They're running away or yeah. something. Yeah. So now it's like lesson numero uno teaching our older kids. Like we come down hard on the older kids. If you don't say stop, because essentially it's like bullying, even if it's with tickling. Yeah. You know, bullying not in in ill, ill um, what's the word I'm looking for? Ill intent. Yeah. But with net impact of the child learning their will is important, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, they're learning that when someone does something and they want to stop or don't like it to just ignore that feeling inside of themselves. It's not yeah. that important. Yeah. And if the parents are letting it happen, the parents don't think it's that important. Right. So <clears throat> next page. Um, after that, it was as if a switch in my awareness had flipped. I began paying closer attention to the coercive scripts people practice with girls these men many of them dads and daughters themselves certainly did not mean to do any harm but how could such wheedling not leave its mark by wearing children down and teaching them to relent against their own instincts and comfort level mm-hmm. we kind of said all that um you know the the for the dads all they want is a smile all they want is a wave all they want is one quick flash and then it's over Pressure also sows doubt by suggesting to a child that their gut reaction, no, I don't want to, is unreliable. So this is like, yeah, this is coercion. Um, And I think it's, uh, you know, I think we we live in a culture where we don't really understand this. Um, It's like a new thing. And I, I think the rape culture is a result of it. But it starts a lot earlier. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the kind of the punchline is she says, I did learn that touching another person against their wishes for my own gratification is unacceptable. And you know what? I didn't really know this in our marriage. Um, I mean, like I'd slap you on the butt and you'd be like, like in public and you didn't like it. And I would say it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. it's like uh, just slapping you on the butt. You know, I didn't even like, I didn't do anything bad. Right. Is how I saw it. And in a way I was right. Like it's not that big of a deal to slap someone on the butt. But what I, but, but, but what I didn't understand mm-hmm. was that I didn't know how to really read between the lines with you or really uphold your opinion. Cause you didn't speak up very much. I don't think you knew how to. No, I didn't. But for you, you know, you say that it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big deal for you. And that's the whole point. Like, that's what I mean. Like you have, from you a, have to separate yes. yourself from the other person enough to, to say like, okay, this is me. I like stop here, you know, and someone else starts there. And if, yeah. And so consent, I think 
not having, not understanding consent, you're, you blend yourself with the other person and you can't actually see where you stop and the other person starts. Which is, um, a problem when it comes to sex. I mean, it's a problem in marriage, yeah. marriages or in, you know, be, if you're together for a long time with a partner and, you know, because I think it's condoned even more in those instances. So what's so cool to me is that this is like, this is like kind of basic Dutch sex ed. Mm-hmm. This was what, we didn't even learn this in our marriage. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense. Like when you look at. Well, we learned it the hard way in our marriage. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but like no one taught it to us. No. We had to like grow the hard way into it. And now, uh, so I guess, like, here's kind of the punchline with, um, you know, Cammy. I could slap her on the ass and, you know, get my way, which is, like, what I want to feel this, like, connection hit. But I violate trust. I make it so that you actually blame me and hold resentful resentment against me in that action. And in the long run, I lose. And right. I've learned that I actually prefer to win your heart and the trust and that the ass slapping will come or the sexual intimacy or physical intimacy or whatever we want to call it. And actually the same thing with kids. So with Rainier, I'm not worried anymore that he doesn't love me or that like we're not going to be close because he doesn't want me to hug him. Yeah. I want to learn that me loving him means respecting when he says no. And I think in the long run, we're going to have a better relationship because of that mm-hmm. he's gonna want to hug me more longer <clears throat> in the future but i didn't use i used to not think that way i suspect yeah. well i want it now and even if he doesn't it's still worth it to 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 just build that type of trust in a relationship you know that you're not going to cross the line so the next topic that she talks about is gender separation um, so this is taken from one, page 145. Anthropologists consider middle childhood gender separation to be a modern phenomenon and not, in fact, a particularly natural one. Um, and on page 149, she says, uh, this is just like, she's quoting some teenagers in the Netherlands. It was less of a rush to have sex. The reason for this, she explained, was that by the time adolescence rolled around, she regarded boys as full-fledged, multifaceted individuals rather than reductively as potential objects of desire. To her, boy meant person before it meant possible love interest. So the context here is, like the Dutch, it's hard to explain, like I wish I had more stories about how they just don't treat gender differences as a big deal. This is impacted on how they dress. A lot of kids just wear like neutral colors. Like there's not this high emphasis on boys wear blue and girls wear pink. They she does have some examples of they in schools they don't separate. Um, even I think even in uh, religious schools they don't separate genders. Like for, they for everything. Yeah, for just well, learning and and, getting, and and for sex ed and getting into the graphic things. Yeah, they don't separate them for sex ed. Mm-hmm. They don't separate them for. Um, like going to the bathroom like in the preschools and yeah, stuff like that like, like there's just like these rows of toilets yeah and it's like the boys and girls are all going yep. potty next to each other and no right. one thinks it's a big deal by the way like the kids aren't like ooh, gross right 
And then you go get older, and even like in changing rooms and stuff, there's it's not uncommon for boys and girls to be naked, even like through puberty, mm-hmm. to change. It's just not this like shocking. Oh, I'm a boy. You're Sexually a girl. Charged. Yeah, arena. they're just like, oh, we're people. Yeah. And they know the difference between boys and girls, but there's not a ton of emphasis on it with these roles. And, and there's also, for birthday parties, they don't do boy birthday parties, girl birthday parties. It's actually a natural thing. Or because, even sleepovers. Well, because they start, they actually um, cultivate uh, opposite sex friendships. And so it's actually a natural thing then. Once it's your birthday party, who do you want to invite? Oh, well, I, I want to invite Joey, Bobby, Emily, you know, all, all the kids that I, like, connect with on a daily basis. And she was using the example of sleepovers, too. Yeah. Because there'd be co-ed sleepover, like a boy and a girl yeah. at the age of 9 or 10. Right. And no one's, like, freaking out. And the kids, they don't naturally, like, if you don't enforce it, was kind of some of the stories they were sharing. It's not mm-hmm. like, oh, girls play with Barbies and boys play with guns. Yeah. And they can't figure out some common ground. Now, I think there are differences. We've experienced differences. I don't. It's hard to know though which of those are actually cultural and which are it is hard natural. Yeah. Um, but there's so much more in common than there is difference. Right. I mean, if you put bubbles, computer games, um, baking, cookies, you know, playing in the mud, yeah, uh, going swimming, boys and girls like those things. And so there's a culture that's cultivated where there isn't like this teasing going on, you know, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, like cooties, you know, there isn't like that kind of thing because they're, they're, they see each other as people, they see each other as equals, they see each other as friends, first and foremost. So therefore, what she's saying in this last section, the first line was, it was less of a rush to have sex because it wasn't like, oh... If you want to be close to a boy and you're it a teenage girl, you have to be like a boyfriend or girlfriend. Thing. Yeah. And then right. if it's a boyfriend or girlfriend, it's going to involve holding hands, making right. out, uh, sex, whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you're already comfortable with boys and girls, there's all sorts of levels of intimacy you can have as friends. That's not, it doesn't have all these expectations. So this bleeds into adulthood. She was realizing that. You know, she she spent some time living in the Netherlands and she realized there wasn't this like gender gap and this weirdness where she just just there was just this environment where men and women, when they hung out together, it just it wasn't it was different than in, in America where there wasn't like it wasn't like sexually charged all the time or. Uh, she talks about the male gaze where, like, men just, like, kind of look her up and down. But I actually think it's because it starts when they're young. And it cultivates this environment where there's not kind of this huge gap between the between the genders. And I think the sex ed, like, keeping the two genders together is interesting. Because she talks about... Because I think it's a little counterintuitive to our culture because you think, well they have different parts so shouldn't they be separated so everyone can be more comfortable well they're not uncomfortable because they've started from naturally very young like talking about this kind of thing together and actually what it does is it makes like when everyone talks about the parts they have between their legs together it actually makes it doesn't it's 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 counterintuitive to us i think but it actually makes them normalize it and say like oh 
you're a person and you're a female. Oh, you're a person Which and you're a male. I think that there's a puritanical belief that I held which was if you if there's not secrecy around those things it's less special Hmm. so like you know not knowing or seeing a vagina or not there's like the mystery was actually this good thing yeah and heck i like mystery i think it's fun but it's still special like there's a lot of unique special things about sex that are special enough that yeah. we don't need to be like not sexually educating our children, or you know. Well, and, and the mystery is doing more harm than good, is what we're finding out. Like it comes at a cost. It comes at a high cost. And I don't think it's inherently good. Like, well, I just I, I'm just gonna say it again. I think there's enough mystery. Yeah. In sex, when you're in love, like there's just mystery in getting to know another human being because you're not them. And they're different from you, whether they're the same sex as you or, or opposite like maybe sex Maybe we don't need to add more mystery than is necessary, mm-hmm. you know, by saying, oh, we're not going to show you or tell you the names of these three body parts until you turn 14. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to find those out, you're going to have to sneak around right. and find them. You, you got to earn your right to know this by getting older. So then she goes into like other things. One thing she talks about is birth. This is on page 195. As I scribbled, no, oh, oh, so she goes to this class in Seattle, and all the kids are watching this birth happen or something on video, I think. And she's just telling the story, and she said she starts crying, like compuls- compulsively. Is that the word? She says there's tears and snot, and her sister's <laughs> there, and she's crying. And um, uh, afterwards, she asked the leader of the class, uh, if the class is always that touching for grownups and the, the leader says um, that to the kids that are watching this, it's like kind of like the children, she says, there's openness, wonder, and acceptance of birth at that young age. Mm-hmm. They're not taught birth is gross, shocking, wrong, which one of our favorite things is, well, my favorite thing is our birth video. Mm-hmm. which is online. I think it has like 2 million views. And it's so fascinating to read the comments. There's a lot of negative comments. It's one of my favorite videos. It's of Rainier's birth. And it's like you in your most vulnerable moment in your life, possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like you're grunting and groaning. You're pushing a baby out of your vagina unmedicated. Yeah. Um, oh, the camera just went off. It does that every 30 minutes, I think. Um, <clears throat> and people's comments are so fascinating. They're like, this is inappropriate. That's gross. Kids shouldn't see That's this. That's sick. And people are upset that our kids are in the room. Mm-hmm. And our kids have never complained about that. You know, but there's this cultural thing that we put on them and other people, it turns out, through comment sections. Um, but what's so sad about that is that's one of the most beautiful moments in our family history mm-hmm. that's essentially being censored in most places by most people. So yeah. it's all kind of like this is this stuff is all kind of like just tied together. Yeah, I think like if you are afraid to say the word vagina um, around your kids, 
then you're going to be afraid to talk about sex and you're going to be like, oh, the baby comes out of the mama's bottom at the hospital. And that's it. That's like, that's going to be the extent of the miracle that your children experience. Um, so it's kind of, I think, really worth examining, like where the shame comes from. Mm-hmm. So, okay, this is, this is where it gets fucking crazy, I think. Um, this, this, this was the money section for me because, well, I don't know. It was all, it was all really valuable, but (laughs) I'm just going to read some of these underlines I have. How do we prepare our daughters and sons for sex? And she's contrasting this question to how do we keep them from doing it? So the question, whether we realize it or not in our heads as parents has always been, how do we push it off as late as possible or keep them from doing it? And she kind of just says that you have one of two choices. Um, it's not completely black or white, but really you do. One is to ask the question, how do we push it off? But there's another way to look at it, was, which is when our kids will have sex, which could be on their wedding night in some romantic sense. It could be with their fiance or spouse, or it could just end up being, statistically speaking, with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Or maybe not even that, but just a person. But how can we make that event as successful as possible? Mm-hmm. And spend less time trying to control the when. when yeah. And more time trying to have an impact on the quality of it. Because I feel like it'd be, it's hard to have both. You know, like if you're only concerned... Or at least I haven't, I don't know if I can like marry the two very well. So with us, we did do a little bit of like premarital <laughs> counseling, but all the emphasis on us from a religious perspective was waiting until the wedding night. Yeah. And you know what? The wedding night, it was great. <laughs> okay. And then it was gone. And then we're still left with our disaster of a sex life at that point because both you and I. And for me, I don't know if I'd say the first night, I I don't want to, it was borderline traumatizing for me, not because of you, but because I was so unprepared for it, you know? And I, if I could go back in time, like what would I say to my 20 year old self or my 18 year old self? You know, I would want to, I would want to like say to myself, it's more important for you to have a good sexual experience than for you just to wait till marriage. Like, I actually believe that now. What would you, but saying that to yourself doesn't do anything. No, it doesn't. I'm just saying like, I'm trying to like reconcile. We need to have parents that know more that are saying that. Right. I'm just saying, I'm just saying if I could be myself's parents, you know what I mean? I would have. That's weird. Well, I'm just Okay, I think I get what you're saying now. Yeah, but. I mean, because I just, because I'm trying to get, I'm trying to go with her flow of thinking because I'm like, well, yeah, I I would not have wanted that for myself, to, for it to be kind of traumatic but, when I first have sex, which I think it is for a lot of people, a lot of teenagers, um, or whenever, you know, 20-something-year-olds, because they're not prepared for it. Well, so let's let's stick to the topic though of parenting our children now. Mm-hmm. Seriously, though, the question being instead of putting all this energy into 
like getting the kids to wait, mm-hmm. which I'm still a fan of. Like, you know, I'm not like, hey, I, I, I want my 16-year-old, do I have a 16-year-old? No, 17-year-old to be fucking boys. Like, I'm not a fan of that right now. But if I had to choose yeah, um, a question to ask, or if I was to ask this question, how do I make sure when my daughter does have sex, it's a great experience for her? Yeah. And she feels connection. Well, and it's safe. her choice, too. And it's her choice. I mean, that's just one all of the things. Of it. Yeah. It's one of the it's things. All, it's, yeah. all, it's this huge package. Yeah. And one of the stats, I think we talked about it last week, is Americans and Dutch have um, a very similar average age so of, of losing their virginity. So um, it's not like sex ed makes them all want to just, like, run out and do it quicker. Right. They're, it's all, like, they're doing it about the same age. I don't know the exact age, but it's, like, 16 or 16, something. 16, yeah. And, but the Dutch kids are having better experiences where they don't feel pressure. A lot of the Americans, specifically girls said that their first experience was not good because they felt pressure and they didn't know how to say no. They didn't know what they liked. Mm-hmm. So their first experience is kind of a train wreck. They're just like going along with the whims of some dude that's like pressuring them mm-hmm. and wants it and they're like told to give it to him, I guess. Yeah. So that sounds like really, like if starting off sex that way seems like really not optimal. So I want to read these two pages because this is, from page 218 and 219, it says, The counterintuitive to me, yet totally logical idea that parents who start talking early, honestly, and openly about sexuality with tiny tots can expect a powerful return on that, that investment in the form of more control over their children's sex lives later. With countless early, normalized conversations, they'd build trust with their kids, priming them to share more and listen better when they got older. Basically, what she's saying is for the Dutch or anyone that talks to their kids a lot when they're younger and has the conversations, Mm -hmm. those kids are more likely to let you into their life and trust you with information and questions when they're older, which is like, duh. Yeah. But for some reason, it seems really scary or like we're like retaining some sort of control by holding off. Yeah. I think there's this belief that if you talk more about sex, you're going to ignite something in, in them too early or something. So she says some of the biggest reasons for supporting teen sexuality are to preserve a close knit family, to raise young adults who self-regulate and to help their kids avoid promiscuity and practice respectful monogamy. So it sounds like she's a fan of monogamy. Um, but the question is, how do you get there? And I don't know. This this podcast is called Fight for Together, which is what we named our vlog after, which the idea very simply is that relationships are hard, but we think they're the most important thing. And for us, it's based on a spiritual belief where we think that God wants to have a relationship with us and that relationship is really important and he gives us family and kids to teach us how to exist in a relationship and it's really the most awesome thing ever mm-hmm. um so for us like it's all about relationship period so if you want to have a good relationship with your kids you have to address well, you don't have to but the more you address their sexuality 
the closer your relationship is going to be with them in the future. Yeah. Because you're addressing their whole personhood. And sexuality is going to be a part of their life. Yep. Mic drop. <laughs> Can I do a... Ta-da. Yeah, you want to do the, the that? I don't know why that's, I always want to do that. You can't always do that. That's for jokes. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> um, okay, so is there other things? Hmm. Um, so she, she says this. I mean, this is like kind of the summary of what I just said. What if our most cherished benchmark for a teenager's first sexual experience wasn't when it happens, but how positively? What if we could shift our focus to ensuring that kids have sex safely and caring relationships when they truly want to? What if it isn't anyone's fault if a teenager has sex for the first time at a particular age, but it's to a guardian's credit if that first encounter is safe, consensual, wanted, and nice? I think... I think some of our religious friends that are like just super pro monogamy will get pissed off at that because they feel like it's throwing in the towel and saying like, oh, monogamy doesn't matter or sex before marriage doesn't matter or whatever. But I don't think it's really saying that at all. I mean, to a certain degree, you and I have had to give up our tight, clenched fist grip on waiting until marriage and monogamy because if that's the only if those are your two primary values Mm -hmm. in regards to sex i think you could probably guarantee it somehow if you like lock your kid up you can like get those things you know and and move to a desert island where there's literally no one of the opposite sex and and that's an extreme example but i think in a way there's ways to try and get that but i think the thing you and i've been asking again and again again is at, at what cost and what we're starting to see with a lot of the puritanical or purity movement culture we talked about on previous podcasts, how I say vlogs, previous podcasts, is that <clears throat> I don't, I don't think it's worth it anymore. I, I don't even think it's a it's a good message that's historically, biblically based for those that yeah. are even claiming it is. It's really a cultural thing, yeah, where we value virginity, right, and flaunt it. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. Uh, Finally, I just want to talk about, like, what we've been doing about this. So we had our first sex ed meeting. This morning. Class today with our kids. Yep. And we have a whole vlog about it, so we're not going to repeat what we did. Um, But I'm just going to, like, read these headlines here. This is, like, what she suggests. So if you want to read more about this, I would suggest getting the book. But... Okay, so baby and baby and toddlerhood bodies are bodies, and our bodies are ours. That's the lesson you would teach babies and toddlers. Um, I mean, and they're theirs. Each. They're theirs. Yeah, yeah. Each, your body belongs to yourself, yeah. and you would teach them about you know their parts and that it's okay to feel good things and some things feel bad and poop and pee. Um, preschool facts and fairness for all. That's the the lesson in a one sentence that you're teaching them facts and this is called that that's called this babies come from girls i mean it, it can be so you know it doesn't need to be crazy deep here um elementary ages formal lessons lasting friendships and feelings of love oh this really blew my mind um this really blew me away um is 
I don't know whether it's the Dutch or whether it's just this author, but she was really tossing this idea out. When you start with, well, okay, forget all that. Can you be excited when your kids fall in love mm. as teenagers? Yeah. And I would say I can't <laughs> right now. Oh, yeah. I remember because this section. I've, like, taught my kids that most love as a kid is, like, fake. It's, like, not real. And... Or I'm it's like subpar to yeah, whatever the because real like thing I, is. I just come from this mindset where my ideas of love for teenagers are Titanic, which is a movie, it's fake, Karate Kid, holy crap, that love scene, they're like mm-hmm. kicking a soccer ball, and they know each other out. for two and a half seconds. <laughs> no, they never really make out. I don't think. Do they? Or I don't know. Then they're like going to an arcade. It's so cheesy. such a fucking joke, but it's cheesy, and I'm like kids. This type of romance is not real. And the Hollywood version is not. But, you know, feeling in love is a cool part of being a human. Right. And I've always emphasized the negative aspects of what Hollywood has pushed. And I think I've overreacted to a point where if my kid had feelings, I wouldn't be excited because I'm like, listen, these are going to pass. Like, you know. Well, I think it's also the religious background we come from valuing marriage so high that you devalue any love that doesn't result in marriage. Yes. Which I think is a problem. And any, anytime you devalue someone's feelings, um, cause they don't just go away. Yeah. So it's, it is, that did challenge me too because you know we haven't really faced this yet but i feel like it's it's probably right around the corner for us not that our i think our kids have had like feel a little bit of feelings but nothing major you know come yet but i want to be able to yeah it feels so funny but but really be happy for them yeah you know, and and she she had moments where she was happy for her six year old for having like six year old type feelings for another six year old, you know, and, you know, and that's even going even further, further of like of a stretch for me and be like, oh, yeah, like those feelings matter, too. You know, I mean, at what age does is it automatically just matter you know i think it should all matter and all be valued so we are just going through um these changes together it's been really cool i think it's i think it's changed our sex life it's changed the way we see our kids it changes the way we talk to our kids and we are just doing like maybe a five week course once a week for yeah. thirty minutes with our kids, just, just stumbling, to like stumbling, oh, totally through, stumbling. Through, I felt like, like so funny today. We were like, okay, we're gonna talk about body parts. Cammy like finished in like ten minutes, and I was like, that's we, it. Are we done? Are we seriously done? <laughs> but, I was like, yeah, I'm done. No, <laughs> but it was good. It was but a it, start, and I was really proud start. of you. Yeah, and I think it's like. It opens up the lines of communication because I, I just got this like picture of okay if I'm if I'm not shying away from naming the body parts of testicles and clitoris and and all these things then I what's I just the, have to uh, what's the plural of clitoris the clitorises or clitori I think clitorises 
that's kind of a mouthful, but just like penises. Um, but I have to believe that by doing what feels like fumbling and, you know, doesn't feel super polished, but just by like talking about this stuff with our kids that they're going to feel more comfortable one day, like coming to me or coming to you and saying, and talking about these things. Our family is more comfortable today than we were yesterday. Yeah. And that's it. That's that's, the goal. That's a good goal. And there's no ideal sex ed teacher out there for kids. We're it. And if you're a parent of kids, I believe you're it. I don't care how qualified you are. In fact, this is the coolest thing. I think it might be as much for you, Mm. the parent, as it is for the kid. Yeah. To, you know, (laughs) we've let go of a lot of shame. Yeah. And we're getting sexually educated now. I mean, we do it through our children and we're talking about our kids a lot. But at the end of the day, I think kids, you know, we talked about this in the carpenter um, versus gardener parenting uh, podcast. But I believe kids are more for us than we were there for them. I feel like they they are far more a gift than they are a project, even if it's a damn good project. <laughs> um, so we it was transformative for us. Mm. So if you... You know, th- this is like, I've, I've talked to some parents about this, and we've fielded this question on our vlog before, but a lot of people I know feel unqualified. I know they do. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's okay to start off a conversation with your kid and say, you know what, for some reason, this is hard, mm-hmm. and I feel, unqu- I feel unqualified. Yeah. Vagina. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to fucking go for it, and you say... <laughs> I you want the <laughs> no, I want clitoris. The... Oh gosh, penis. No, that. <laughs> you just gotta, you gotta work with what you got right now. Yeah. Instead of thinking there's gonna be a better time tomorrow, or just waiting till one day you become more qualified in your the mind. The better time will only come if you start today. Yeah. Because it's how you get there. It's how you get and better. And there's never a too late time to start because we were sitting down with our 17-year-old. It's along, never, and it's never too early because we got a two-year-old. Along with our two-year-old and talking about this stuff. And I think it's all good for them. And it's I know it's good for me. So, okay, we have... I want to be done in less than an hour, but I, I, I really want to do this thing. I was, I was going to can it. We're going to read to you. We just got this book. Oh, yeah. So we've one of the things I've been doing is buying these like children's sex books. And yeah. we, um, you got to turn the cover that way okay. or at least read it. Okay. Um, so this book is called Who Has What? All About Girls' Bodies and Boy Bodies. Yep. And I'd say it's pretty good, but it's it's basic, so it doesn't have everything. Which um, is one of the complaints we'll get to. Yeah, but it, yeah, so that's Let's skip all this boringness. So they're like going to the beach, and they're everybody like, has I have a, a body. body. You have a body. Great. Are girls and Take boys different? Off. I'm a girl. I love to play cat. <laughs> but then there's the dogs in all the scenes. This oh, is I know. Um, so they're saying there's differences and there's similarities. Okay, uh, so first they start with all the parts that we're all comfortable with. Head, eye, cheek, nose, mouth, And the boy chin. and the girl and the dog each have they those parts. They all have those parts. It's amazing. 
Shoulder, neck, elbow, this wrist. Is more, this is next level because it's pinky. Yeah. Chest, tummy, belly button, heel, I was nipple. nipple. Yeah. Me too. I got a belly, belly button. Belly button. Okay. This okay. is So then the clothes come off, and the girl has opening where pee comes out, opening to v- the vagina, opening where pee comes out oh, for the dog. I'm like, wait, she's got two <laughs> pee openings. No. And then they do the dog. The dog's a girl it's too. A female dog. Okay, so, so has let's parts. describe this picture. We, we got a girl sitting here. Her yeah. numbers off. She looks to be about six. Yeah. And there's like a little like crack. Like you can see she's a girl. It's like, I mean, this is like watercolor. It's like a yeah, line. It's not really supposed to be super anatomically correct. And then she's. Then they they show that where the poop comes out. Okay, dog. But it's like it is just her butt. Yeah. So then the boy has penis opening where his pee comes out scrotum and then it shows the boy dog and his stuff the poop where and the poop. these are like these are tiny tiny little cartoon drawings because yeah. i'm gonna read the amazon reviews that's why i want to yeah, like i know i want to explain like okay so now we're getting inside a person so inside the mom and the girl they have the same parts obviously so this is like x-ray view ovary uterus showing the vagina inside which that's really weird because it it's like not inside or well they're wearing clothes but then it shows this like x-ray thing oh and the dog has ovaries look oh i don't know i feel like they're trying it's it's okay so now we've got the the dad or you know and the son penis testicle so this is like x-ray with their swimsuit yeah okay so then uh that's pretty much it that's it whiskers what it talks a little bit about babies uh when girls grow up come women the uterus is where a baby can grow after a baby is born, a woman can feed the baby milk from her breast. It shows a breastfeeding mom right here. Oh, it kind of does. Well, yeah. it, does, it doesn't show the actual breast. Just okay. Boring. When girls. Okay. So. So then, I sure don't want to be a grown up now. I do love. Okay, whatever. Okay, so no matter what kind of body you have, a girl's body or a boy's body, whatever shape, shade, size, body you have, there's no other body in the world just exactly like yours. You're so special. Okay. That's the end of the book. Boring. Yeah. So. Um, I just had, we just bought these on Amazon and I was just like looking at the negative reviews just kind of for fun. And I think it was really fascinating. Yeah. The first one is one star. M- most reviews are positive, by the way, but this one says one star breast fail is the headline. Mm-hmm. I was on board with this book until it got to women's bodies. No breasts, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Can we please show breasts? Also, the mom breastfeeding the baby is great, but why is she using a cover in a book <laughs> about bodies? This is infuriating. Okay, so we have a La Leche person here. Yeah. Then, next one, one star for age appropriate. And then it says, inappropriate for young child. Mm-hmm. Which is like a very common belief. Um, okay, next one, one star. Well, I don't know why that has one star. Yeah, th- that person made a mistake. Yeah, okay. I think they meant more. One star. Yikes. Very and then it says, very graphic. graphic. <laughs> this one's which the the reason why I described it is it like it doesn't show a clitoris. It isn't. It's not which sexually I, suggestive at all. Yeah. I mean, it's it's which just I like actually a little cartoon. Have a problem with them not showing the clitoris. That'd be like not showing the boy's penis, in my opinion. Yikes! That's what this lady said. So this would say to you. this one, yeah, I know. 
So this next one, do not show to your children. One star. This is my favorite one. This book is for a five-year-old. I understand that children need to know about body parts. They don't need to see graphic pictures of penises, vaginas, and dogs also. This book was disgusting and horrible. Do not show your small children this book. It was embarrassing to show my granddaughter. Okay. I so, think this was more about her uncomfortability than her granddaughter's probably. Well, it's just funny. She says, I understand that children need to know about body parts. Right. So, And then they don't need to see graphic pictures. So first of all, if by graphic you mean accurate, <laughs> I, I mean, I really mean that. Like, yeah. What, what do you mean? Yeah. Like maybe we're supposed to describe it or just say it's a giant mystery. Right. But by the way, what I've found is that especially for women – when people treat the opposite sex as a mystery, the same sex is also a mystery. Meaning, like, I know for you, you didn't know your own parts very well. Oh, yeah. I mean, you didn't know men parts, male parts, but you didn't even know your own. Like, the, right. the female genitalia is very secretive and hidden, and there seems to be a lot of more. That's one of the things we talked to our kids about today is like. Yeah, I said. I, th- I think there's this prevailing belief um, that who knows how old it is that men's sexual pleasure is more important than women's sexual pleasure. And, I, and you see that if, I mean, if you go, if you just look at a lot of even current books, clitoris is like left out, you know, of a lot of, a lot of it's not that important. describing. Yeah. It's not that important. It's just the, just for female sexual pleasure. I mean, yeah, how important is that? Okay, um, one star. <clears throat> Congratulations. You're a perv. I know. <laughs> Why do people feel the need to discuss these things at such a young age? I find this disgusting. Hmm. I wonder why she finds it disgusting. I mean, I know. I, well, I don't know, actually. <laughs> I thought I knew. But I think that's probably the punchline of this whole talk is... We find things disgusting, and it prevents us from educating our kids, and we put our belief on them. Yeah. We're like, oh, if I find it disgusting because I didn't know, or I was shamed about these body parts or these actions, or I was molested as a kid, right? or sex is hard for me, then if I tell you what a penis is, you're going to say, you and gross. And so we're projecting. maybe kids don't, naturally. Mm-hmm. I wanted to end, we have so little time, so much to talk about. I wanted to end with this quote because you sent me this Richard Rohr quote, uh, Cammy's boyfriend. <laughs> um, he wrote this thing and I'll post Pl- a link to the whole thing. <laughs> but um, Richard Rohr has a penis. <laughs> Dang it. What? It, the thing. Okay. <laughs> the now that's the sound effects. Um, And this is just a clip from the very last line. It said, the only people who change, who are transformed, are people who feel safe, who feel their dignity, and who feel loved. When you feel loved, when you feel safe, and when you know your dignity, you just keep growing. That's what we do for another, as loving people, offer safe relationships in which we can change. This kind of love is far from sentimental. It has real power. Mm -hmm. And I really like this and i the reason why i wanted to read at the end of this is i was just thinking you know how when you do that thing with fortune cookies how you read the fortune cookie and then you say in bed yeah afterwards it's like or with hymns what have you ever done that in the bathtub or in bed 
Like if you take a hymn book and you just read, am I the only one that's done this? You read the title and then you say, in bed. How great thou art. In bed. (laughs) (laughs) That totally works. Uh, Yeah, but yes, I I do know that. Great is thy faithfulness. In bed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's weird. I I don't know where you learned that, but okay. um, Okay, so it would be like you will have a long and prosperous life. In in bed. bed. Okay, back to the topic here. And this thing says, you know, when we feel safe and we feel dignity and we when we feel loved, um, that's when we grow. And for some reason, I feel like with kids and these body parts and these feelings, Mm. especially as they get older, they don't feel accepted and safe with the people that are the most important to them, their parents. Mm. They feel, I I felt like I had to hide wet dreams, masturbation, feelings, being in love. And I don't even think this is my parents' fault. I think this is like the society we grew up in and you know it just i felt like a monster for having feelings for getting a boner for having urges for you know some stuff that was in my control some stuff that was outside of my control and i have to assume that my kids are going to go through similar things and unless we bring safety and dignity and love to those areas of their life it'll probably be a point of insecurity for them for, and, for a long time. And I think part of bringing dignity to someone is helping them know the parts of themselves, like the parts that maybe are some of the most important parts that they have, their sexual parts. That's it. Yep. We are out of time. Well, that was really fun. Um, I hope this was helpful for you, and next podcast, we are not going to be talking about sex ed, unless we feel like it, (laughs) Um, and now I'm supposed to read some stuff, oh yeah, okay, so this podcast is available on iTunes, and like all sorts of places, Spotify, and Google Play, and stuff, so if that helps, oh, and we have it on YouTube, so if you want to watch the video, um, you can watch it there. Um, one way you can help us is by sharing this with someone that it you think it would help. So we really we're just trying to be honest here with the story and the thing that we believe. And we the reason why we record a podcast around it is because we don't hear this stuff very much out there. So if it helps you, it might help someone else. Um, if you guys want to leave questions for future podcasts, please do so on the Anchor app. And there's a Facebook discussion happening, and the link is below with all the other links that we mentioned today. That's all. Cammy, do you have anything you want to say? Take us home. Say something. Keep talking about sex. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time.